All right, this is Be Who Travels, the podcast. Greetings, everybody. This is your boy, Brian. Uh, it's been a while since I've been uh, doing the podcast. It's been an interesting couple of months. I've been on the road. We've got this pandemic happening, and I had a lot of stuff going on with work. So I haven't. I think the last time I did a podcast might have been right around February 1st, which is uh, pretty interesting because I went back and listened to that podcast and there was some discussion. Um, I had had a co-host and I have a co-host today as well, but I had a co-host on that day and we were discussing the coronavirus. And even at that time, I didn't even know what the name of it was. Uh, we would just call it the C virus because uh, I, I think Corona is short for something else. But it, it's it's just this sort of time capsule that, that uh, encapsulates a particular time where we just didn't have any idea about what we would be dealing with a month and a half down the road. So, uh, so yeah, it is. Uh, we are sort of in the the thick in the trenches of a pandemic, and it's it's unnerving. Uh, it's 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 scary. Um, but you know, I still think we should all make sure that we're using common sense to govern all of our decisions and making sure that we do everything to say keep ourselves safe which in turn keeps other people safe. So we've had a lot of talk about the coronavirus in our private lives all the time. This isn't a podcast about the coronavirus, I promise you. But I have a, a special guest here, uh, a friend that I've, I've known for 30 years. I have Mr. Omari Bashir here, and he's going to chop it up with us today. And he's been on the go. You've been on the go. Yes, sir. Uh, I, really, I really admire that he's been on the go uh lately and he's covered a lot of tracks so i wanted to talk to him and particularly about cairo and just unpack some of his thoughts share some of his uh impressions and some of his even even practical tips and practical knowledge about going to cairo because from what i understand it's a pretty overwhelming place um, to to put it lightly, so uh, would you go ahead, uh, Omari, and then tell us a little bit about tell us who you are, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, what you do, the, the uh, and let's say you can tell us your most favorite place you've been thus far. All right, well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast, Mister B Hoop. Um, as you said, I've known thank you, thank you. As you said, I've known you more than half of your life. Um, and, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's an honor to be on this other side of the uh, phone with you in reference to talking about traveling worldwide. You know, um, you're actually one of the inspirations in giving me motivation to, to, to travel outside of just personal. You know, um, I believe everybody has personal aspirations to travel and all of that. But, you know, some, some people think it's far-fetched or when I get older or when I save enough money or this, that, and third, but when you see, you know, um, your peers or people, you know, that you're close to actually doing it, you know, you, you realize you can make it happen for yourself. But, um, let me start by saying, um, myself, I'm, um, entertainment executive. I do publishing, distribution, A&R, uh, consulting, uh, manage songwriters, producers. Uh, I'm a talent manager, gets across the board. I do brand management, host, I mean, um, do bookings for celebrities. 
among other things, but those are probably like the main, my main, uh, <laughs> main jobs that I do on, on a daily basis. That's like 40 jobs. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> you just listed 40 yeah, jobs. So I, yeah, Omari's a big deal. So, He's a big deal. So I do a couple of different things, um, mainly in the entertainment business, but I'm definitely trying to broaden my horizons in real estate and things like that, which also prompted me to travel abroad to see what other opportunities there were, um, not only for entertainment, but just, you know, other business opportunities as well. Um, and so in the past six months, so yeah, six months, I've been to what, three continents, I guess you would say. I've uh, been to Europe twice, been to Africa twice, and South America once. Yeah, it's pretty confident. So that's 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 an impressive that's an impressive six months yeah. there for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now one thing I wanted to uh reiterate something that you raised. This this segment that I'm doing today, you know, I have him and here's a co-host, but one of the other uh reasons that I wanted to do this particular podcast with Omari is that I wanted to feature black men who are going out into the world and experiencing culture uh, and having these kind of adventures. And, and, and that's because we are an underrepresented group of folks who are actually doing this. Mm -hmm. So I want to use part of the platform that I've created with regard to travel. Uh, and, you know, if you didn't know, I'm a, I'm a black man. I'm like a 270 pound black man. Um, but I wanted to. It wasn't make that sure size that. when I met him, you guys. I tell you that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But uh, at any rate, I wanted to make sure that I use part of my platform to create a voice for for folk for people that look like me uh, to be able to tell those stories, to be able to encourage other people who are part of underrepresented groups to go out there. And to have these experiences and to not be afraid and, and to also understand that it's, it's more accessible than people think. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times people, and it can be an expensive thing, right? This is kind of rites of passage for really, really wealthy folks, or you have to be a certain kind of person to do it. And the truth of the matter is that's not the case. No. Um, we live in an era where it's a lot more accessible than it was maybe 25 years ago. So I'm glad he brought that up. Um, so, yeah, I want to call this – I'm still working on a title for this kind of segment. I think I'm going to go with, like, Brothers Who Travel. Yeah. But, again yeah, – um, Black Black Men Travel. To, uh, that, I, I, actually, yeah. that was one of my one of my inspirations is, is to inspire others. And since I've been doing this travel, I've, I've got a lot of – especially Black men that say, bro, you inspired me. You make me want to get my passport. I never thought about going to Africa. I mean, the way you showed it, it shows, you know, different people with different perspectives. And that's what I wanted to do. At least, I don't want to say be the guinea pig or whatever, but be the litmus test for what, you know, people, you know, could expect. And um, it's working. You know, I have a lot of people. I'm actually organizing a trip to go to Ghana uh, in December for some, you know, some people that want to go after seeing me go. See, yeah, yeah, no, and it's uh, it's it's infectious. I think when people see 
what other people are doing and it looks fascinating yeah. and intriguing and then it's someone that you right. know right so it's like okay if that person if that person's doing it then you know maybe i can talk to that person to find out how and, i can do and, it and, and then so, me being uh, in this you know cliche uh uh entertainment business where you know everybody is more about the um the glitz and the glam you know you look at somebody like me that might be you know in the studio with a who's who artist one day then you I'm up in the bush of Ghana the next day. And it's like, okay, <laughs> wait a minute. I thought this guy was just this. I thought his life was just that. But right. it shows the dynamics, you know, of people's lives as well. You know, you know, everybody's not just what you see through social media. You know, people have different layers to them. And once you, you know, start exposing those, and it kind of can be infectious, you know, depending on who's the recipient. And, 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 and. Mm-hmm. and I feel like these kind of experience really bring out other parts of yourself that you may not have recognized yeah. before. Yeah, and, and that, that was really, you know, like I said, outside of, you know, I had a bucket list basically growing up as a child, which I'm sure we all have. Egypt was probably number one, right? Then as I got older, I said, oh, I want to go to Amsterdam for other other reasons. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, but I definitely want to go to Africa. You know, where in Africa at that time I wasn't sure, but it was like okay, definitely West Africa. Um, maybe South Africa one day. Then I'm like, you know, uh, Malcolm X was you know my hip childhood hero. You know, reading books and all of that at, at an early age, and I know he went to Ghana first, and then. Um, um, W. Du Bois, he was over there. Just a lot of, um, you know, um, black philosophers and, you know, uh, uh, I would say sociologists and, and certain rights and, and activists. That's one of. Yeah. And apparently, Maya Angelou. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. She was over there, so yeah. a lot of, a lot yeah. of high black culture, yeah. um, you know, leaders, uh, so to speak, went over there. So I wanted to. You know, that was my first place. And then I know the Cape Coast Slave Castle was there and what that meant to our, our culture. You know, going through the door of no return, that was probably like one of the most life-changing experiences um, mm, that I, that I can't, it's hard to explain. Just being there, the energy that I got from being there and, and, and like trying to flash back into time and put myself in that position and, and you know, how they strip you of your manhood and womanhood and your dignity. Dignity, you know exactly. And, and then you walk through this door of no return because you was never to return. You know what I'm saying? And so for me to be able to walk through the door and then now they have it on the other side, um, the door of return for all for all the ancestors, mm. you know, well, for all of us, um, the products of right. the ancestors um, to be able to walk back through. Yeah. And so that just made, you know, that was just something that took me on a whole nother level. And, um, and then. Yeah. You, you, I imagine that you can't really explain what you felt, you know, during those moments. Um, I mean, I'm sure it was like this, this, this blend of like, obviously like sadness, a solid mm-hmm. feeling. Uh, maybe some anger. Definitely that. <laughs> and, then, 
and then maybe like this yeah definitely that definitely that and then maybe like this deep sort of connection to you know our our ancestors and we you know unfortunately we don't we don't know you know there weren't a lot of records like we can kind of figure out where our ancestors came from now but you know but still to feel a connection to to the continent um i'm sure that that's that's kind of what goes on when you go to a place like that and the crazy part as we're speaking there's a young man that works in the um souvenir shop he's actually an artist a painter and i purchased a painting from him and we took a a picture and so i have a a instagram so we, we we exchange instagrams and he's been in touch with me the whole time um while he's there he's actually just DM me right now while we're on the phone. Um, and oh, wow. the pandemic has affected everybody. So, you know, he works at the Cape Coast Slave Castle. That's where he works. <laughs> and that, and that's been mm-hmm. shut down since, uh, you know, tourism mm-hmm. is, 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 is messed up. So, you know, this is how he earns money for his family. So he actually, he actually yeah. reached out to me and asked me to... Uh, you know, if I could help him out, because I, I told him I was going to try to do some business with him, you know, maybe try to help sell some of his paintings and, you know, maybe some of his other things that he makes here in States or whatever. But, uh, but I didn't send him some, <clears throat> sending him some money just so he can, um, you know, get by during this tough time. So it was just funny how, how I got that, uh, how I got that DM as we're talking, because that was another thing I wanted to be able to see immerse myself in these different cultures and, and meet real people on the ground and have real relationships that I can grow with. You know what I'm saying? As I'm growing as a, as a human sure. being and as a black man in the world and, and, and kind of piggybacking off of your podcast, I wanted to see where black men fit in the world outside of America. Cause America gives you such a, uh, uh, misguided view of yourself if you allow them to, if you allow it to, and um, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere I've been, it's like we are hand over fist honored. They emulate our culture. Where I was in Amsterdam, where I was in a mall, and I was the only black person in the mall for real. There was a black mannequin, me and him, the only black people in there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they're playing, they're playing Patti LaBelle all the way to some hip hop and everything in between. And it's like, wow. hey, what the hell is going on? I go to all the coffee shops out there, <laughs> and they're playing nothing but hip hop. So it's like, you know, I, I want brothers to be able to get out of America one to see, you know, how we, what kind, of, kind of that we have, that, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's important. I mean, you know, I think there are some problems with the commodification of a lot of the 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 culture that, you know, people that look like us have provided over generations. But, yeah, it's something to be said that you can go to like these far off places. And I'll tell you, I was in New Zealand, what, three or four weeks ago. And. My wife wanted some lo mein, which, by the way, lo mein is not a thing in uh, New Zealand. But she wanted some lo mein, so I was walking to find some. And I walked by this, this like, kiosk, and they were bumping. Now, I'm not real well-versed on the new rap talent, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, mm-hmm. the baby, the baby. 
and they were bumping the baby. <laughs> and for a second, I had to think about mm-hmm. where I was. Yeah. Because <laughs> the only other time I hear that is in my car <laughs> right. in Atlanta. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a testament to the the pervasiveness of of uh, Black culture just being everywhere. 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 And you definitely, and it's those little moments that remind you um, yeah. of that. So, so yeah, I, I know exactly, exactly what you mean. Um, now, you've done Ghana, you've done Amsterdam, and you Egypt. No, Colombia was Columbia most recent. Most recent, yeah, Correct. and and that right okay. there was, and then you know, going back on just being enamored by the black culture. When I went there, I was, I mean, of course, I knew there were black people in South America and Colombia and all of that, but. Um, I went to the Community 13, you know, which at one time was considered the most dangerous neighborhood on earth, you know. In in Bogota Medellin. or Medellin? And this is okay. this is where Pablo's from. Yeah, yeah, and, right. Um, I mean, in certain cases now, it's still very dangerous, of course. But, um, you know, walking through there and seeing black kids, like black kids from West Atlanta, from Harlem, New York, like that's, these are the, <laughs> and they live there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, right. And, and most Spanish. of the murals that they painted, because now it's like a tourist uh, section of uh, of Community 13, where they have all these elaborate, beautiful murals, and most of them are of dark-skinned black people. And I'm sure. like, wow. Now, sure. in this part of Medellin, it might be probably 10 to 15 percent. I, I guess you say Afro, Afro. Uh, uh, Colombian, Colombian, Afro-Colombian. But I yeah. met a brother down there who's a professor from um, Howard that lives there and does real estate. He's like, yeah, but if you go to um, Cali, it's like forty percent black. If you go to um, Cartagena, it's probably like sixty percent black. I'm like, wow, you know what I'm saying? So it just shows you, you know, that we're everywhere. Yeah, I know the Chinese people. I know Chinese yeah. people are everywhere, but we're everywhere too. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. the The diaspora, the African diaspora, is, is huge, is and the huge. influence is huge. And and we don't think about, you know, especially with respect to uh, black Afro descendants in Latin America, we have a difficulty as a society understanding that you can be Latino and a black person at the same time. Right, because being Latino is not a race. You know, it's a designation of where you may come. I think we we left off right around. Uh, we were talking about Colombia, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that listeners who didn't know that Colombia has the third largest population of Afro descendants in the Americas. So mm-hmm. I thought it was Brazil at one time, but maybe that's the Brazil's second. number one. Brazil's number one, okay. Yeah. Brazil's there Brazil Oh outside of Africa, yeah, yeah. Brazil's number one. Right. Yeah. Brazil's I mean black people everywhere. Um now but Colombia has a lot as well, but I think 
it's important for people to understand that you can be Latino and you can be black at the same time. Yep. And people get very confused. Um, I almost feel kind of like regionally, because uh, I think people that like live in the Northeast and the tri-state area where there are lots of uh, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans uh, and folks from, from Spanish-speaking Caribbean world who are both Latino <laughs> and Black. Well, they don't call themselves Black. I found that out a long time ago. Maybe now some being more conscious, but at one time it could be a uh, Dominican dude darker than you. Oh, yeah, he'll tell you he's white. <laughs> well, he would just tell you that he's Dominican. He would say, I'm not Black, I'm Dominican. Which, which you know, being Black American, we have, I guess, no nationality, so to speak. I guess that's why we call ourselves Black American. But sure. if you're from Jamaica, if you're from Haiti, if you're from, you know, Colombia or whatever, then, or DR, then you feel like you have some sense of nationality. You know what I'm saying? But you know they, but they also have a real ugly history with colorism. Oh yeah, colorism is, is yeah. That, so, I mean, I found that out in Ghana. Like they still yeah. worship a crystal white Jesus over there, and yeah. I, I mean, actually, me being in the bush, uh, we were walking to 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 some um, beach from property that some friends and I were thinking about um, investing in. And the way, you know, we see these young brothers making some um, plum wine and tequila, you know, basically mm-hmm. how, how someone would make um, moonshine here, right? So they had, sure. they had the whole thing going on. And on the way back, they gave us some, we took pictures. And one of my friends, he's, he's from Ghana, he speaks the language, of course. So I'm taking pictures of him in, in the group at one point in time. And then I get the picture. So when we walking off, he was laughing. He was like, yeah, one of the kids said, hey, make sure the white guy, you get the white man in the picture. Talking about me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, me being a light-skinned black person, and not, you know, I'm not the lightest of, of light, you know, of, of the light-skinned, but I'm not the, you know, I guess the darkest either. So I'm right in the middle. Um, but with all the black pride and all the, you know, black social consciousness that I have going to Africa to get, you know, to find my roots and sure. all of that. Then I get all the way up in the bush to be called the white man. <laughs> <laughs> and no, he does, and, and now, now, granted, this brother was, you know, he was jet black. He was blue black, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, I, I, and I don't have anything, no problem or, or ants against it, but just the colorism fact, because he doesn't his he doesn't understand that me even being a, a light skinned black man in America, I would still get treated the same way he would. You know what I'm saying? If I, yeah, if I, if I pulled yeah. up in the wrong town. Sure. If I pulled up on sure. the wrong block, you know what I'm saying? But he doesn't have that concept yet because he's in Africa where they're not well, at least in Ghana, they don't have that um you know, sense of colonialism anymore. So white men are not running around there all day, every day, you know, subjecting them to certain things. So their concept of, I guess, who's black and who's not and all that, it might be a little different, at least for him anyway. But he's living in the bush as well. He's not living in a, in a cry. Right, you know, right. He's not in a cry where it's, you know, people of all different shades and everybody's moving around. He's, he's in the bush. 
Absolutely, but he said the what? Wow. <laughs> but but then, this is this is stuff. This is this bugged me out more than anything. So as we're driving up there, because we're we're going from Accra to Cape Coast Slave Castle, which is in um next next towards Takrati, which is you know a, a certain area, and um I see the Sprinter driving in front of us. On one side, and one window has a white Jesus. The other side, it has the Confederate flag, and it says, "We must protect our flag." Whoa! Yeah, I thought I lost my mind. I thought I was. How do you explain that? I thought I, mean, I, was, I, can, I, I can thought I was. In that, yeah, I can understand white Jesus. I can get that, but the flag part, I thought I was like in in the middle of Alabama somewhere on the back road, and there's a a a, a, a you know what I'm saying. A jet black brother I'm, I'm driving. I'm fascinated by that, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I took pictures and had to take video of that because he doesn't understand what he's what he's promoting at this point in time. You know what I'm saying? His consciousness right. is. Right. Oh, I'm just driving this this truck. I'm just whatever. You know. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, so it's just weird. So yeah, you definitely have those moments where you go someplace and you see some stuff that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I, and I, I was forewarned because <laughs> when I went to go get my uh, my visa, when I went to, to, to D.C. to get the visa to go to Ghana, I ran into a brother who's actually a professor of African music studies at Kent State. He has mm-hmm. he does he has business in Ghana and in Nigeria. So he told me, he said, man, I can already tell you're self-conscious, that you're, you know, you're black conscious, you're probably a Pan-African. He said, don't go over there expecting to see <laughs> to see all of that. You know what I'm saying? He said, you're going right. to get a culture shock. You know, you think it's all black power, this, that, and the third. He said, you're going to go over there, you're going to see some shit. And when I saw that white Jesus and that, you know, we must protect our flag. Yeah. Sure. I, I, yeah. That- all you could do is scratch your head. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> but you know, but when you think about a place like Ghana that is, you know, almost a hundred percent black, they don't have the same idea of blackness. Obviously, you know, we have as as Black Americans, we have a lot of baggage, mm-hmm. right? And and they've been affected, you know, by colonialism and all that. But you know, our concepts of of blackness and what that means. And what it doesn't mean um, looks very different. Oh, yeah. And it just has a lot to do with the history of the places that we live. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what so, made, made it even more of an overwhelming feeling going to the Cape Coast Slave Castle, being there, walking through that door, because that's where it all started. Like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is the genesis super. of where. Black on black hate started. This is the genesis of where colorism started. This is the genesis of all of that started right here. And you know that to, to experience that and then try to come back to America and unpack it. And so you know, actually on on the way back, right? And I know we're stuck on on, on the ship to Ghana. We want to get to Egypt, but I just want to unpack this real quick. So when I was in Ghana. You go to some couple of roadblocks every now and then. Mm. You're driving down the street, the cops check you, check the, mm-hmm. you know, check your credentials, and you move on. But when you go out to the market, you go out to certain places. There's no heavy cop presence. You know what I'm saying? There's nobody. Like I went to the clubs, and I didn't see any cops anywhere. Now I saw some at the beach or whatever, but you know that was more of an open public 
thousands of people, so you need some type of security. But just on a normal, going somewhere, no heavy police presence, I didn't feel like, man, the man is watching me, or, you know what I'm saying? It was none of that. It was real free. I actually never felt more free in my life than being over there, right? Wow. That's deep. And so I'm having this euphoric feeling of being there. And when I get back, I get a call at Kari, you know, my little brother, got pulled over by the police who was following him for no reason in Sandy Springs. Mm-hmm. Finds out he has a little, uh, I guess he didn't go to court for some traffic ticket, right? Um, the cop pulls him out the car, has his hand on the gun and all this other stuff oh, over over, no. over a minor traffic ticket. And and the reason why mm-hmm. he has a had a warrant was because the um, the clerk put the address in, but didn't put the apartment number in. So he never got the notice to even go to court. So it was an error, basically, a court error. But he's going off. There's another police officer comes comes to the scene. It's a black officer. A white officer pulls him over. So he's beefing. Like, why are you walking up to the car with your hand on the gun, basically ready to shoot me over a traffic ticket? You know what I'm saying? And mm. that's you know, that's our experience here. It might not be everybody's experience, but it's a it's a large majority of, of, of young black, older black, just regular black men driving wild black experience here in America. And I'm just coming off a 10, uh, a 14 day, two, almost two week trip of, of, of being freer than I ever felt in my life. And on the day I get back, mm. I gotta bail my brother out of jail. He's just getting bailed out of jail. He had to sit in jail two or three days because the ticket was in the cab county. He had to switch him to two or three jails, like over a traffic over ticket. A, <laughs> over a, a damn traffic ticket. And it was an error. It was somebody else's and fault. It was <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't know why people have to go to jail over a ticket, over something administrative, in my opinion. Yeah, but then if you look at it, 60 to 70% of the people that go to jail are, are us. Right. So we know. <laughs> yeah, we know there's a disproportionate. So really, if someone's listening to this and, and trying to glean from what we're saying. So we're, what we're saying that, you know, as a black man, as a black person, there is a statistically a higher likelihood that you're going to be pulled over for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> you know, if you're in the wrong neighborhood, in the wrong car, you can get pulled over. Yeah. Regardless of who you are. Yep. You know, you could be, you know. Skilo Brown from, you know, the other side of the tracks, or you could be, you know, Mr. Buppy from the quote unquote right side of the tracks. You you'll get pulled over, <laughs> right, for for no reason, and 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 that's what we're saying is that we're this constant mistrust of the police is something that we deal with on a continuous basis. And Omari saying that he's, you know, thousands of miles away in a place where he feels completely free from that. So I think that you drew a very uh, compelling contrast between, you know, what it means to be a black American. And, you know, there are great things about being a black American and about occupying this space. Um, However, there are a lot of scary detrimental things about being a black person that you know occupies you know this space but you're you're in ghana and you're saying that you're feeling completely free from that completely free 
completely free. And it's not something you don't have to worry about being pulled over because you're black. Mm-mm. Nope. Now, I might get pulled over because they think I'm an American that has money, <laughs> which is a whole yeah, different... Now, right. I mean, right. but Hold that's, you know, that could be anywhere. You know what I mean? People want to take... Get, maybe, maybe not as much in Europe, but I definitely had that sentiment in other places that cops might I mean, want they're to... they're goons everywhere. Yeah, right? yeah. They're goons everywhere. So but, um, but as far as just, you know, because I'm black and there's some type of law or, or system against me, oppressive system, I, I didn't get that at all. Nope. Yeah, and then I, I just know that kind of really put your experience in this particular perspective. Like, you will think about that and, and just be reminded oh, yeah. to, of, the, of what was happening to your brother yeah. and what you felt free from. To, to the point where I'm actually thinking about probably moving there one day. You know, I'm actually de- I'm definitely getting property there to go back and forth, but uh, I don't think America is going to be like the end, end all place for me because I just feel like instead of complaining, you know, some people have the, the mindset of, well, we're here, we built this country, you know, we deserve our stake, we deserve our peace, we deserve our da 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 I'm from the mindset, yeah, I get that, but also I'm not going to keep fighting and getting stressed out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When we can go somewhere else yeah. and, and build a utopia. You know, I'm not saying Ghana might be the place, but there's other places that, you know, black men can can prosper, you know. And um Yeah, and you're a free born human being who has the right to go wherever you want. Right. And be whoever you are at whatever time you want. So I think being able to do that is this personification of, of what, uh, or definition rather, of what it means to be free. <laughs> and, and, and this is, to, to be honest with you, and I, and I know this is a throwback to earlier, but I think this pandemic is what's bringing everybody down to, and I wrote this in one of my um, captions in, in, in Facebook, that this thing is probably a necessary evil, and we're all just going to be human beings for one moment. It doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. Doesn't matter anything because you can catch this disease and die. And so now, and you thought you were so high and mighty, you controlled so much in your life. Somebody, somebody calls and says, "Shut everything down. Close all the businesses. Close all the restaurants. Close your business. Close this, that, and third. You don't really control shit. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. You don't. So." You this don't. should be I think you're saying this is a great equalizer. Yeah, this is a great equalizer. Put everybody back on a human playing field. We're all just human beings now. We all can be subjected to a virus that can kill us all in, in, in two or three days. We we're subjected to uh, a a worldly system that can shut everything down where you can't travel, you can't go, you know, you can go to the grocery store, you can't do you know what I'm saying, you gotta close your business that you took your hard-earned investment money that you might lose. You had to fire employees. Mm-hmm. Like, all of these things that you thought you were in control mm-hmm. of, you're really not. And, it, and, not. And, and and a lot of it has nothing to do with God, per se. It has nothing to do with nature. It has something to do with what man has done. You know what I'm saying? And Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really wonderful point. Like, you know, hopefully, at the very least, we can learn a little more compassion because I, I feel like like you were saying how this is the great equalizer and 
that means that we're all going to experience the same pain, mm-hmm. the same trauma, the same the same sort of problems, the same sort of fears. All of us, everybody, nobody, your money can't, you can't throw money at this. You, you can't throw influence at this. Everybody's having to deal with it. And, and maybe we will think about when our fellow man somewhere else may be suffering. Yeah. And, and, you know, you might not be, it might not be your pain or your trauma, but maybe you'll remember you know, what it was like to endure something like this, where there was so much uncertainty that you're going to feel some sort of compassion Mm -hmm. or sympathy for someone else that might be going through something like that in the future. Um, So, no, I think that's a a really um, important thing for all of us to think about while we're, you know, in in the midst of a pandemic, which is like crazy. (laughs) Can't believe I'm saying that, but. Right, right. And and, and it's associated (laughs) with your life. Every time you've ever heard it, it's never been associated to your own life. It's some something that happened over there, and mm, to, to them. To them, now it's us. Yeah, yeah. Now it's us. It's everything. <laughs> it's now it's you, I, him, her. You know. Yeah. No. No. You're two hundred percent correct. Well, I I can't wait till I make my uh my trip to Ghana. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's something that my wife and I have talked about, but uh. You know, we did go to South Africa, which is a different kind of, it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially Cape Town is kind of a, it's quite colonized. It's quite European. Um, and, and, you know, and I've even been told that it's, you know, it's not really Africa. Right. Um, I, I don't know about all that, but, you know, there is some merit in, in the idea that it is a bit colonized. It's a bit more European than someplace like Accra. But I hear a cry. I heard a cross pop. Oh, it's popping, baby. So I'm going back in December. So if you want to, you know, if, if that dish, I'll be going back every December up in, in, until, you know, until I either move there or whatever. But I'll be going back every year. So you're you're certain that this will be a place that will be a part of your oh, life? Yeah. Oh, forward. yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Now, um, tell me. How would you, in one word, just tough. How would you describe Ghana? Uh, one word. Um, word has to be powerful, man. Um, one, okay. One, okay, that's fair. One word. It would be. <laughs> I was gonna say amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say anything but amazing. Anything but amazing. Anything. No, we can go. We can go with uh with powerful. Yeah, and I think I can understand why. I know a person that has been to Ghana several times, and she was just really elated with the idea of of sort of blackness as the default. Right. You know, you're walking and you see an advertisement and you see a black family in that advertisement, you know, whether it be for toothpaste. Right. Or, every, every, you know, cooking yeah, everything oil. Is black. <laughs> everything. I mean, and just to, to experience that, um, you know, because we we don't often get to go to places where your blackness is the default. Yeah. I mean, like even when I went to the. I had to go to the barbershop out there because I was there so long. And then 
the uh, Clippers that I brought, the uh, power wouldn't convert. Oh, yeah, I hate that when it happens. So, yeah. But every barbershop has some black celebrity, whether it was Ludacris, whether it was Will Smith, mm. whether it was somebody black in America associated with a barbershop or a hair salon. And they had some, you know, some of the you know native people as well. But I, I felt that dynamic was was was, was kind of dope as well. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that go that goes back to the influence that we have. Like sure. We're over here in the crowd, and they're taking pictures of, you know, they have pictures of <laughs> Ludacris and these other rappers as their uh, marketing tool. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, they're using the their likeness. Yeah. To get business, right? <laughs> which says a lot about the influence. Yeah, so um, I guess the, the one of the best things about going to Ghana is that it's an English-speaking country. English is like one of the first language, first language. So um, it, it, it's yeah, real. It yeah, it's real to easy to navigate. You know what I'm saying? You go to other places, it might be a little harder. Um, yeah. Which, which everybody, I mean, that should not prevent you from going to these places, but, but he's right. It, you know, in, but even in places where English might not be the first language, uh, in many instances, people will speak some mm-hmm. English. So, so the fact that you can speak English and, and have an American passport is a pretty special uh, and privilege, <laughs> uh, um, that that you possess, um, so that shouldn't be a deterrent for for going to places where you know English but, isn't the the. But what language. I found out is that Americans, and this is no slight to anybody listening to me, myself, or whatever, but Americans are dumb, right? Because <laughs> everybody else, everywhere outside of America, speaks multiple languages. They speak they speak the yeah. native language. They speak whatever the uh, the colonized language was, and they might have another language. Most people outside of America speak two to three or more, or, or more languages. And yeah, especially like people in Africa, oh, they, they got like speak languages. Yeah, they have their they have their, they have their yeah. own village. They have the main language, and they have English, and it might be French, depending if they've been colonized by France or Belgium or whatever. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, and if people think people think yeah. Africans are dumb people, and they know five and six different languages, four or five different dialects. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's why they come over here and, and do and, well, and, <laughs> and and maintain like a, a impressive mastery of yeah. all the languages. So no, this is this is uh, very much true. Well, I'm going to pivot on to Cairo, right. uh, well to Egypt now. I'll start Egypt off with the same question I ended. We ended Ghana. Uh, and I'm glad that we got to touch on Ghana. Um, tell me how you would describe, and I'm going to give you more than one word. Tell me how you would describe Egypt to someone. I, you know what? I have yeah. to describe it to so, you. So I would say Genesis of the modern world. That's what I would say. Hmm. So that's so the the alpha. alpha. Um, 
friend of mine asked, he told me to watch this um, documentary called uh, The Knowledge of Forever Time before I went there, which I didn't, but I'm watching it now, which is crazy. The no- Okay, what is it called? The Knowledge, the knowledge of Forever Time. And it's a documentary. Yeah, it's like seven, eight series by uh, Damon um, uh, Damon, I what was his last name? I, I can't remember, but it's on YouTube. You, you'll find it. Um, okay. Only, only reason why I, I, I threw that side note in there is because it opened up my mind even more as I experienced Egypt for what it worth for myself and then pulling in that knowledge or also some other knowledge of doing his research prior to going there, right? Um, so yeah, bucket list number one, number one on the list. Why? Because it has one of the seventh wonders of the world there. It uh, houses 5,000 year of history before the birth of Christ. Um, if you if you follow that calendar, um, it uh, mm. it encompasses many many different cultures because a lot of people may not understand, and especially in Cairo, it was um, ruled by different dynasties from this the you know people in the, in, in the lower the lower Nile, which are more dark people, the Nubians, um, which a lot came from Sudan or Ethiopia. Um, they ruled Egypt for over 500 years. And you had the, uh, you know, the Greeks. Then you had the, um, I guess you would call the Arabs. So you had different people at different times um, have ruled that, that region, which blended a lot of different cultures, a lot of different history. Um, their forward thinking on science, study of the stars, the the study of the gods, and you know all all of that just you know it it's actually a framework for a lot of things that we believe nowadays or follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all of those reasons and 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 personal. This is why I wanted to go there. Um, my mother was definitely a lover of uh, Egyptology. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember your mama used to have uh, in her house Cleopatra, <laughs> but she used to keep her where she kept mm-hmm. her cigarettes. She had that. Uh, there's a Nefertiti. It yeah, might she had Nefertiti. Nefertiti. If it was Cleopatra, it was a black Cleopatra, which is still debatable. Yes, yeah. So if you knew Shirley, it was the black Cleopatra for sure, for sure. It's also important. I want to deviate for a second here. Is that our moms were best friends? Yep. And they, I mean, I, I I don't, you know, we we miss them tremendously. Uh, one thing, but they they passed away right around the same time. About a month and a half apart. Almost, yeah, almost something poetic about that to me that you know they left this earth uh right around the same time but uh yeah i know that your mom was elated to know that you made that voyage um and i bet there's a part of you felt like you did oh yeah it was it was well prior to her passing 
and all that, like I said, just growing up, I, I've been enamored as well for personal reasons about um, Egypt, you know, King Tut is probably the most famous pharaoh from that region. And, you know, you would see the Great Pyramid of Giza all the time in history books. And, you know, if you watch uh, the History Channel, they always have something on the pyramids and, you know, that time and hieroglyphics and, you know, just all of that. And, you know, also, which I'll get into, seeing people of color on the wall of something ancient history was even, you know, more compelling. Um, but, um, you know, as I got older and of course, yeah, my mother being enamored with that whole, with the whole culture, once she passed, it became, you know, some type of, uh, uh, something I wanted to do for her. So when she passed, she made sure that we cremated her. <laughs> that was one of her wishes always that we cre- <laughs> that wow. we cremated her and that me and her, my brothers would always she was like, So I'm gonna haunt you for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? Make make sure I'm cremated. <laughs> I split the ashes up, whatever you gotta do, blah, blah, blah. So so yeah, so she's cremated. She has a special um place in the house and all that to adorn with, you know, um her queen bee badge of honor and you know uh other ornaments yeah. that i've that i've gotten but um when i when i decided to take this trip which was last july and this would take another little pivot uh i took a th- this was a, a a travel room now most of the travel that i've gone on outside of this particular um trip was something i just did for self or i was invited you know from a friend or something like that Amsterdam was a, um, a music um, a music trip. You know, we we're working with an artist over there. But uh, this trip, we actually went went with the uh, Black Girls Travel Group, and this was their fir- yeah, oh, this was their fun. first co-ed trip. So okay. black women, they you know, you, you go all around the world, you're gonna see some black women travel as a group. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They got, so yeah. this was the first time they they actually opened up to some black men, and um, it was great. Um, so when I when I started painting on the trip, I was like, man, you know, what would be dope is I can honor my mother by taking some of her ashes over there, and you know, she mm. always wanted to go to Egypt because she actually I don't know if, if if you knew, but one time some years ago she was trying to move over that I think maybe when I graduated high school right before um Kari would have been graduating she was talking about moving over there to work in the um medical field but I think it started getting a little dangerous so she kind of changed her mind about that so anyway I said well look man I'm gonna I'm gonna take her ashes I'm gonna finally bring her over there and um just honor her right and so in my mind I'm like well I had to schedule the itinerary of some of the places we were going in Cairo because this particular tour or this particular travel group, we were only staying in Cairo. And so once you really see the uh, Great Pyramids, you go to the uh, Cairo Museum, you go to the Sphinx, and um, I went to Saqqara, which is right outside of Cairo. That's where the first pyramid well, they say the first pyramid 
called the Step Pyramid was built. And then the first perfect pyramid is in that same area, but like 20 meters away, you can kind of see it um, in the distance. But once you go to those places, that's it. So me and my friend, we also actually uh, paid for a flight to go to Luxor, which is where the Valley of the Kings and the Valley of the Queens Oh, nice. And, uh, the Carnival nice. Temple uh, is. So in my mind, I'm like, when I go to these places, I'll be able to, you know, go to the side and sprinkle, you know, her ashes, you know, on the site, so to speak, right? So that's 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 how I pictured it. I didn't really think think any anything past that. So, but I bought enough of her ashes in case I went to, because I knew we were going to be on the Nile River. We were having a a uh, a cruise. A, a dinner cruise on the Nile River, so I'm like, I can spread some of the ashes on the Nile River. Um, so basically, I bought enough of the ashes to spread to like three or four places. So day one of our tour, we went to the Great Pyramid, which is actually called uh, the Pyramid of Khufu, because it was it's it's okay. named after the king of the time, um, whose tomb is inside. So we go to the Great Pyramid. I'm not even, well, first of all, I stayed at the Mena House, which is, um, it's the Marriott Mena House. But the, this particular property was the last royal palace of the last king of Egypt, which was in 1950-something. Mm. So you can just imagine the beautiful view, the scenery, the landscape. Right. And where, where you eat at is the backdrop of the pyramids. So, so when you, so you, when you mm. eat breakfast, the Great Pyramid of Giza is like right behind you, right? So the first night I'm staying there, because I got there that evening, um, so it was already nightfall. And when I went to go eat, or my, actually my partner wanted to show me the area, we walk in and all you see is the shadow of the damn pyramid overlooking you. So I took a picture and I, I mean, mm. immediately, this, it was the energy that, that came over me, a feeling that was like, a, like I flew back in time, you know what I'm saying? And it was just, it was, it's, it's really hard to describe. And at that point in time, I didn't know there were three other pyramids right there because you can't see them, right? <laughs> All you see is the great pyramid mm -hmm. in the middle. So the next morning when we go out, I see the other one. Like, oh my God, there's two of them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, but then when we get actually on the property, I'm like, oh shit, there's three of them. Because I mean, I, I've seen it, you know, on TV, but it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't register at that time. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, make a long story short, when we go to, you know, we go get our tickets. We have our tour guide with us, and he's telling us, um, well, if you want to go inside the pyramid you know, you have to get a ticket. And I'm like, yo, we actually get to go inside? Like, it wasn't even, I couldn't even fathom the fact that we were going inside. Just to be outside of it would have been fine enough for me. I was in awe just to be on the on the land, just to look at right. it, just to be able to touch right. the rocks, and, you know what I'm saying? But no, I actually get to go inside? Yeah. Oh, shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so right. we go inside, and 
you know, we're like in the cave area, but it's, you know, it's tall enough for you to walk. It's not congested or whatever. And I'm like, well, do I go to the corner and just, you know, say a little prayer, put my mother's ashes right here where everybody's scuffling and walking, you know what I'm saying? Or let me just see where we end up going. So the guy had mentioned something about going to a tomb within there. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just wait till I get to this tomb. Didn't know I was going to have to go. I was going to have to bend over. Uh, and I have a bad back, right? So I had to bend over almost to my knees, right? And travel mm. three to 400 feet upwards. Up now, you know what I'm saying? Like a little, like a little ladder. Mm. And it's not even a ladder. It's more like a... Mm. How can I put it? So, you know, if you look at old like one of the old Westerns and they would blow up a cave and they had the little, <laughs> little carts that they would, you know, roll through or, or, or if they were yeah. in a coal mine or something like that. So imagine that yeah. shorter where you have to bend over and walk up. So basically if you're claustrophobic, you're not going to make it up in here. If you're, you know, cause people are coming down at the same time as you're walking up. Oh, so this wow. is actually this is this is this is tr- this is trying on your body, you know what I'm saying? But I'm like, and it and it's, it's dark, it's kind right? of dark, kind of dark. Then it gets light. It's like a mixture. It's it, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a mixture. I actually posted footage up on Facebook, but so I'm just giving you, you know, kind of giving you a feel for it. And so I'm in this tight space, crawling, scratching, trying to crawl up, not even knowing where the hell I'm going. And we finally make it to this open room, and there's a tomb within it where King uh, Khufu's body was had laid the rest. And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the place. So I mm. actually laid my mother's ashes with inside his tomb. Oh my! Oh my! Right. God. Her, her. So wow. you know, I said a prayer. I, I you know, I, I said a little message and spread on my partner his father died uh some years ago in his father's will and testament he asked that his ashes be spread around egypt i didn't even know that prior to booking this trip mm. so i you know he actually told me about the trip i told him i was gonna go then i actually drug him along and he he waited like to the last minute but i'm like man this is something your father <laughs> put in his will you gotta go you know what i'm saying so he put his father at one end, I put my mother's ashes at the other end. And um man, that was that was just breathtaking, you know. I I, I mean I, I, yeah. I, I felt like if I could wow. if I had to go home right after that, uh, you know, I I, I achieved so much. Right. And and the fact that it's one of the seventh wonders of the world, it's probably the most famous um I mean not probably, it's the most famous sculpture not even say sculpture but the uh a structure built by man or aliens or whatever <laughs> however you believe or whatever you believe it's the most famous in the world and my mother's essence is in there you know what i'm saying wow that's that's beautiful i'm trying i'm trying not to let a <laughs> tear get out of my eye but wow and it's you know and it, it's the fact that yeah. you know i've known, yeah and you know i knew your mom and I knew right. how important that was. And, how much you cared so, about that? Wow! And, as, and you had the opportunity. I mean, that's and that's on top phenomenal. of just getting the history and um, 
you know, knowing what that what that pyramid represents to mankind, you know what I'm saying? That that just, you know, it's an experience that I can never that I'm forever thankful, you know, especially the time frame I did it. I just did it in February in the midst of this global pandemic growing. It was just being talked about of where we are now at that time. You know, we're talking about a month and a half ago, two months ago, max, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So I, I can't thank God enough for allowing me to do that. Um, sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was right. meant for you to do that. And, and then to go no from question. there to uh, the Valley of the Kings, where Ramsey's tomb is, uh, both Ramsey's, the the uh, the seventh, the ninth. Uh, it's like three or shit, probably four or five of them down there. But you know, definitely, I think Ramsey's the uh, the two major ones was the uh, seventh and the ninth and the eleventh or something like that. But uh, King Touch tomb was there as well, and his, his mummy was on full mm-hmm. display, and the guard at the at the place allowed me to spread my mother's ashes at King Touch tomb. Yeah. Whoa. So I was like, Whoa. She she's not only in the Great Pyramid, but now she's in the most famous pharaoh of all. You know what I'm saying? Of all the land. Right. Like, there's not one person that doesn't know. <laughs> right. King Tut was. <laughs> and she's her essence, her, her essence is there at base. They're occupying their essences are occupying the same space. That's that's some powerful, heavy stuff. And I mean, I, I don't know. I'm kind of bereft for words at this point, just because it's just such a uh, a beautiful moment that I know will never leave your mind. I don't think you'll probably ever feel that sense of pride and that sense of connection yeah. to your mom and almost like oh, yeah, it's definitely too, I, I definitely you know. felt more accomplishment um because i knew how much she was like i said enamored by this culture and um the funny thing i went to the valley of the kings and you know she was so in love with nefertiti right and one time i mean she she had never TV rings, chain. One time, a, one time a chain popped oh, yeah. or whatever. So I bought her a whole another set, <laughs> another chain with another never TV. So I, I really wanted to put her, her um, ashes in there, but that uh, her tomb was closed and her body was never found in the tomb. They don't know where her body is, which is hmm. you know I. I but there's, oh, there's a there's definitely a shrine so, to her, though. How it is over there? Um, they have these things called sarcophaguses, sarcophagus, which is more like a. How would I put it? So you have these big container tanks. You know how you have, uh, you know, if if you are moving or on a rail cart, these big containers, how they move freight, basically. Um, that would be a sarcophagus. So that would be on the outside of the coffin. So basically, like King Ted had like four of these. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 
a coffin within a coffin within a coffin within a coffin within a coffin, right? I see. So yeah, yeah. And when they say tomb, you know, we think tomb in uh you know, we think tomb in American sense is it's definitely too small even, you know, to even fathom. Like Ramsey's tomb, I had to walk down shit. 300 feet to even get to the opening of it, you know what I'm saying? And then it opens up to this massive, it has his sarcophagus in the middle of it, um, and then all this elaborate hieroglyphics, maybe shit, 50 feet up in the air on the ceiling, you know what I'm saying? Like, you start thinking, how the hell do they get up there to even paint this stuff? You know what I'm saying? So not only, not right. only right. are you walking down into a cave, so to speak, and into these deep tombs, as you're walking, you're going, you're seeing this, these beautiful paintings, these beautiful documented history of what, who this king or queen meant to these people and, you know, uh, history before that, because there's different, there's different stories that they have drawn on, you know, on these walls. And, you know, that, that's just breathtaking, man. Then you see the different shades of people. And and, and mm. all of them go from brown to dark brown to light brown. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, damn. That makes you feel prideful. Because mm. I'm, I'm thinking two things, too. Like, this is East Africa. I've been to West Africa, but now I'm in East Africa. And that was another thing that I wanted. I wanted to get, you know, a different feel of of Africa, because Africa, I mean, most people, when they speak of Africa, they speak of one mass, not realizing like 53, 54 countries. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's right. It's, it's such it's a diverse place. place. And exactly. People in West Africa feel like people in East Africa don't respect them and don't, you know, they look down upon them. Um, when I got to Egypt, they felt like I was a brother, but I also look Arab, you know what I'm saying, compared to <laughs> West Africa, I look white. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right, but, right. Or I can look Egyptian. Right. I mean Ethiopian. If I'm, you know, what I'm saying a little further down, so I, I, I could, I could blend in different, different spaces over there. But, um, you know, to to be able to just see the the hieroglyphics and, um, and know that, you know, people of color were involved in 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 in, in this history, was you know just another uh, uh, powerful thing. I mean, of course, you, you've read it in books. Um, of course, Hollywood sometimes tried to whitewash things, but to actually be in a, in a cave yourself with, with dust all over your body because you had to crawl in to this tomb, and then when you, mm. then when you actually stand up, mm. you see people that look like you on the wall. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no substitute for, for that. Yeah, there, and you know, and again, it's that kind of experience you can right. never really put in words, but but it's it's really one of the most times that you're the most awestricken and you're the most moved and you're the most inspired. You're feeling so many different it, things. Yeah, right. It's real I mean, it's a hot. And and it's I want to say this for the non-black people that tune in to to uh, be be hoops uh, uh, podcast because I don't want it to seem like you know we're just. Um, and we are uplifting our black culture. I mean, that's that that's first and foremost. But at the same time, the reason why 
we're so enamored by this stuff and, and so uplifting it is because we've been so stricken of it. You know, our history wasn't told this way. It's not taught this way in the history books. You know, if anything is adverse of the things that, that, that we're talking and speaking of. So that's why it's so, it's so yeah. much of a hide to yet to actually see a black man on a wall in a cave or a tomb from 5,000 years ago. Or, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, we were taught that we were nothing but backwards thinking, almost non-human beings, not almost, that we were non-human, you know? And, sure. and that's from the West African sure. perspective. On the East African perspective, there was still colorism because like I said, you had the Sudan and Ethiopians that in the Nubian dynasty that ruled that region. And, you know, if you go further South, uh, in Egypt, you, you'll see those um, structures of, of uh, black faces as far as like big ass structures, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like compared, compared to, compared yeah, to sure. what, what's in Cairo. Um, so I'm actually going back because I, I, I wasn't able to see everything. But um, when I went to Luxor, I went to the Valley, I mean, to uh, the Karnak Temple, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen in movies or... Um, you know, the History Channel, and that was built over, I want to say, uh, it was like three or four or five different dynasties, like different pharaohs contributed to, to the Karnak Temple. So there was one um, obelisk that was made to honor uh, Nefertiti, and it, it actually fell over. <laughs> This is the only time I was actually stopped. Mm. So somehow a fellow maybe from time erosion or something. Now they had these signs that said, don't do any type of rituals or anything like that. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be the last place I put my mother's ashes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so as I'm spreading the ashes, <laughs> here, comes the, here comes the guards telling me, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, mm. oh, I'm not doing anything. This is just some sand. It's just some sand. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some sand. There's lots of sand around here. <laughs> but um, it's just some sand, buddy. Some sand. But um, there were definitely some other places that I that I didn't get to see. Um, and I'm definitely going back because I want to be able to go, you know, a little further to see, um, you know, some of the uh, uh, what was left by the Nubian dynasty. Um. Well, you definitely came and saw <laughs> and conquered. And it sounds like, you know, it's that that type of that space, that region. No, you, you can't, can't do it all at once. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't do it all at once because you need to. Right. First of all, you need to rest. But you also need to like time. I really believe you need time to kind of it, process. It, it, it took me a month and a half to actually. Know, I mean, I'm still processing what I experienced. And and then when I watched yeah, oh yeah. the documentary, uh, I still have a few more episodes to go, The Knowledge of Forever Time, and that just opened up my mind to even more reasons why I got to go back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because this, this documentary kind of ties into extraterrestrial beings, um, that whole concept of, of, of uh, you know, what, what, what they contributed to to uh, ancient Egypt, you know, whether you follow those theories or not, but it uh, kind of makes sense. 
Well, because nobody knows how mm. those buildings, how those pyramids are made. No, nah, they nobody don't understand. They don't. They don't, and, but they do. You know, <laughs> Put it that yeah. way. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, I'm gonna. I I I always tell myself that I try to keep these podcasts under an hour, but we've had a, a really wonderful conversation um, about about your travels, and I, you know, I'm, I'm excited and elated that you're having all these experience and inspired by the places that you've gone, and hope that you continue to do so. But before before we get off here, I don't know if you remember. I just I thought about this today. I don't remember if you. I don't know if you remember this, but the the year that we moved here so this was 89 i think and this is when your mom did your mom have didn't she have a regal yep, a buick when she first came in yep she had that buick regal we all piled in the car it was around christmas time we went to lenox square oh, for some reason Greece. or another <laughs> and yeah <laughs> Yeah, I thought but about who that. Said, oh, okay, Kari, so okay, I, I got to tell the story. Who set it up. It was Kari. It was Kari who said it, but we drove. And this was before oh, 400. Yeah. Georgia 400 was a thing. So we had to take, like, over there yeah, by Ridgeview yeah, Middle yeah, School, Peachtree. Yeah, so you had to go that way to get to Linux. And we get to Linux. We see the legendary. He wasn't quite as legendary as, as he is now. This was LaFace, Babyface. Uh, he's we right in front of us. Going, like, floor shine. So when I was actually trying some shoes on at the time. Yeah. Yeah, you were because yeah, you came out of the store with the shoe on. <laughs> <laughs> but we knew who Babyface right. was, but our moms did it. <laughs> they didn't know. And your brother didn't know, but he wanted to act. He was yeah, what? Yeah. Six he was, or seven let me see. Or eight. I was eighty-nine. I was going to high school, so I was fourteen. I was seven years. Yeah, he was like seven. He was about seven, but he heard us and that's baby face. And then he thought we said baby place. <laughs> he said, I want to go to baby place. <laughs> I want to go to baby place. And then your mom was like, "Who is a baby place?" And Babyface was right there. And then I think somebody dropped their scarf right. and he picked it up and handed it to whomever. And we were just kind of frozen. I remember being kind of frozen. But your mom and my mom was like, who? I think my mom might have. She I, know I, I know I talked to him, though. I shook his hand. Of course, I knew who the hell he was. I'm, I was I was the music guy back then. That's why I ran out of the damn store with one shoe off. Because <laughs> I knew who the hell he was. <laughs> 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 but I remember that I remember that uh, so clear and that was you yeah. know about 30 years ago but I thought I would end off with, with yeah, that's a beautiful that one, memory man. but I want to thank you so much for your time you know I'm going to be following you I'm going I'm to go yeah. at night and look at that Egypt stuff again I saw some of your Egypt stuff but to hear everything that happened before and after you took these uh, clips uh, will give me a deeper appreciation for, for, for what you had there. So again, thank you so much for participating in the podcast. I'll get this up real soon and uh, I'll actually slide it by you before I put it up. Um, Man, I appreciate your thanks time. So much. Um, it's a wonderful thing you're doing. I look forward to probably coming back and speaking about some 
um, other trips maybe. And oh, um, absolutely. I'm gonna absolutely. actually. I said I was gonna post up some more uh, things from from the Egypt trip this weekend, so you can look out for that. I'm gonna make a couple of eye eye movies and throw some, you know. Actually, okay. especially the Cape Coast Slave Castle. I'm, I'm I wanted to make a separate segment for that because I think that was just so powerful, and I think people need to understand the real dynamics of what that uh, how that transformed history. Perfect. Uh, All right, right, I'll talk to you soon. Take care.